Welcome. Before we get into the topic for today, don't forget to subscribe to Basically Related Podcast and leave a five-star review. You can find us on YouTube as well and subscribe there. Remember to hit the notification bell so you'll know when we drop new content. Also, you can sign up for our monthly AMA episodes at basicallyrelated.com and ask a question at basicallyrelated.com backslash AMA. We answer all your questions in a monthly episode delivered to members only. So a couple of days ago, I went to a concert here in Charlotte. It was a day glow. And as we, as we were going into the, the, the concert area, there was a street preacher outside. We, had, we, you know, we got there a little bit early and they get good, good seats. And we were, you know, kind of waiting in line outside and there was a street preacher across the street. Like I said, he, he was kind of in between um, maybe like an elevation church pastor and uh Westboro Baptist, like a little bit of the turn and burn, you know, like there was a sign, you know, kind of repent, but yeah. he was, but he was young and they all looked, it was like three of them. They were kind of trendy. And the message was mostly positive. You know, it was mostly saying that the sins that you're engaging in are because you're looking for meaning and you're looking for purpose and happiness, you know, but you're looking in the wrong place. And the person who can give you this happiness, this lasting happiness is Christ. Mm-hmm. And of course, this earned the mire and disdain of of the the people waiting in line, particularly because it was raining and they didn't want to, yeah. you know, this guy preaching at them. <laughs> but I couldn't help but to think when we went or, when we went into the the concert hall, like this doesn't work, right? Like this this like preaching at people on you know on the street, it it doesn't work. And there's this too sharp of a uh, of a distinction between. I think um, the sacred, you know, Jesus music, good. Right. And then like secular music, bad. Because he was yeah. like, you know, Dayglow can't give you what you're looking for. And Dayglow isn't a bad band. Right. Like, right. You know, like their music isn't about sex and drugs. Yeah, and, right. you know, it's like money. a demonic metal. Right. Like, rock it, exactly. Band. So it's like, you're, you're one, first, like you're not even in the right place. Like yeah. this isn't the band to protest. Yeah. Um, and secondly, like I think we've talked about before, like sometimes music can just be good. Yeah, you know, right. like it doesn't have to be explicitly religious. It can be good, but yeah. so I'm I'm in the I'm in there and I'm listening to the music and I I can't help but to think of the a little bit of the symbolism that's happening, right? Um, I mean, you at a concert, you essentially have everybody kind of moving in rhythmic motions, dancing, feeling the music, while a a person speaks to them in images, in metaphors, and in symbolic language. Yeah, and yeah. no one's really asking like did. You know, was your heart really on fire? Yeah. <laughs> like, did 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 it burn up? Did you die? <laughs> you know, but like, but we know what that means to say like, my heart is on fire. Yeah. Like, you're the light to my eyes, mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And nobody asks like, did, well, did it happen like that? You know, no one's doing mm-hmm. the historical critical method. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> trying to, try to, you know, trying to figure out like, well, what was right. the con- was the what was the cultural milieu? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, like right. You know, is there evidence that she existed? Uh-huh. You know, right. But they're yeah. they're taken by the, the symbolism, and, and but they know what he means, yeah. even though he's speaking, kind of, yeah, in yeah. most mm-hmm. riddles. Yep. Mm-hmm. But they know we they kind of you almost intuitively grasp right. what mm-hmm. he's trying to say. Um, and I I, I yeah. wondered is this, it, like I, I guess when it comes to getting people to think symbolically or getting people to, um, think about religion in general or myth in general. 
is is it better to go the route of symbolism as opposed to the kind of turn and right. run and preaching at like right. you said yeah it's an interesting question because it's not necessarily a given that like those two categories have to be uh, articulated that way you know it's, it's like religion has to be like that side preaching or street preaching and then uh music can be symbolic and like the the arts oh, yeah, are more right. symbolic what is like what well, is there a way that let's say like let's say one thing flips it's like what is what does art look like when it's street preaching? That looks like propaganda. Yeah. Mm. So maybe mm. the other, maybe religion can be something like art mm-hmm. in, in this kind of symbolic expression. That is, yeah. a, that is a really interesting question. Well, that's exactly it. I think um, it was uh, Pope Francis's recent letter um, on the Mass. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, he did mention that the liturgy is actually an art form. Mm. And it's the liturgy at its worst is when it's just. Um, stripped of all its symbolism yep. and it becomes like preaching at you um didactic and cold mm-hmm. whereas at its best it's um full of symbols full of art um beautiful music beautiful imagery uh and even the priest is like straddling the line between artist and mm. priest right mm-hmm. uh, well i mean he is a priest but he's yeah. also embodying the artist mm-hmm. um there's a way in which he uh presents all these symbols and offers up the bread and the wine and it moves the people in a similar way as uh, a a musician moves people at a concert (laughs) right um you know unified uh all um partaking in something bigger than themselves um you know you are your individual you are an individual amongst a collective um and so i think like when we're talking about religion and um you know, preaching and, and two ways to approach um, archetypes and symbolism, whatever. Uh, in my mind, Catholic liturgy, and I guess you can say like uh, Eastern or Orthodox mm-hmm. liturgy done well, um, kind of partakes in the two in a sense. It preserves right? that. Yeah, it preserves that. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always pointed to things like concerts or like football games and like, and I've mentioned this before mm-hmm. on my podcast how like that it's just like it's so clear how the natural instinct for religion is a is just it, it it's clear it's clear yeah. within mm-hmm. people when they're partaking in these group activities you mm-hmm. know um so it, it's just it's kind of ironic that you people would go to this concert you know partaking in this um natural religion <laughs> yeah. and then like um shunning like religion explicitly right it's like oh no yeah. i'm not going to do that i'm just going to be uh, like you know Keep your Jesus stuff. I'm yeah. gonna do my human thing, mm-hmm. and then partake in this like yeah. <laughs> you know faux yeah. re- religious experience. So it's yeah. Were, how were the people online? Were they like audibly upset or like yelling Bo- at this guy? Him or? So some people did. Some people. Okay. <laughs> some people yelled back and were like, "You know, I don't care." And then he, the guy <laughs> responded back. He was like, "You'll care when you meet Jesus." He was like, "You'll care when Dang. you die." And I was like, "Oh." <laughs> Got him. There was some pretty awful theological debates in line. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about the validity of the Bible and how do you know if it's true? And yeah, I just tried to ignore that. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I was like, clearly, you guys have never taken a philosophy class. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was. It, I think most people sort of ignored him. And, you yeah. know, and, and went along mm-hmm. with, you know, you know, along with the concert. Um, mm. But it seemed to be mostly disdain. Right. Like you said, sort of like, yeah, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Nobody's listening to you. Nobody believes you. Um, 
Yeah, that, yeah. I think that was that was mostly it. Well, I mean, it wasn't ever overly hostile, yeah. one way or the other. Um, yeah. yeah, I was I was reminded when you were relaying the story. I was reminded of um, Peterson's. Um, he has a whole spiel on art, uh, the value of art, the nature of art, and he said, uh, "You know, thank God, music is kind of like this last bastion for um, people where." Even the most nihilistic punk rockers, while listening to their music, are tapping into something religious. Yeah, you know, and but and he had like that fun, funny mm-hmm. quip. He's like, you can knock on their heads, and he's like, hey, you know, you're having a religious experience, and mm-hmm. maybe just they would say, just f off, you know, like don't yeah, don't, yeah. Um, right. don't bother me. I'm right. listening to my music. Yeah, um, and and but that like kind of begs the question, like, how do we like how do what's the right way to open up people's eyes to saying like you are partaking in something bigger than yourselves i mean i think if people recognize that okay i'm tapping into something um religious mm-hmm. their natural step would be like well music is my religion right um or yeah. sports is my religion they might admit that mm-hmm. right um but of course you know as as a priest as a catholic i'm saying well that's just a, a shadow of something even deeper that you're called to right Right. Um, yeah, I, would, I like to think of it more like a hierarchy. You know, yeah, it's like because right. like whatever whatever uh, music is as the like pinnacle of your religious experience, everything under it is going to be encompassed, right? Like the top of some sort of triangle, right? But that triangle sits in a bigger triangle, mm-hmm. and then like the the higher up you can go, the the larger base you will have, as triangles tend to do. Um, yeah. So, so the idea is that like, yeah, like music might be your religious experience, but your experience of the world is now limited to just that. You know, like music can only provide you so much. It doesn't yeah. answer yeah. the the most existential question. The ultimate question. Correct. Yeah. Right. So it's, it actually like, but something like uh, the mass or actual religion Catholicism encompasses even music. That's yeah. the whole point is that like, you know, you can't separate those two and become uh, like, preaching it without this under understanding that it encompasses even yeah. even secular music you know like just this, this idea of understanding that everything is underneath yeah that top of the triangle right right yeah that's a good way to put it um and i think that that's one of the ways in which we understand um the word catholic universal meaning all all things <laughs> right like uh and yeah. not only spreads throughout the world but it encompasses all that is good in the world um and so yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. So. Yeah, I mean that's what I was thinking. That's what I meant. When I said that you know this kind of strict division of, of sacred and yeah. profane. Yeah. It's like well, actually, this music can um, can still be good. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. in itself, is, is um, but even even if it doesn't have a, an explicitly r- religious right um, uh, point point or, yeah, you know yeah. uh, to it, then right you know it, it still participate in you know the goodness of music. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we are we are moving into a uh, an age where we're kind of more comfortable with ex- seeing the uh, parallels of something like a religious experience or re- religious participation. Um, I, w- I send you guys frequently these like reels with like people making coffee. Yeah. It's like whatever, <laughs> like twenty minute ordeal of grinding and pressing and yes, whatever, yeah. and it's like very <laughs> ritualized. Um, yeah. And so, like, making that parallel of being like, you know, yeah, you don't want religion, but meanwhile, you have this, like, religious ritual to make your coffee mm-hmm. is an easy, like, connection now because people are, like, yearning for that. But there's still this disconnect of, like, well, when I when I present to you the idea of religion, 
there's this disdain. Mm -hmm. So there's still like, you know, I feel like we can bridge the gap of like, here's why participation and ritual starts to make sense. But it's like, okay, but now your axioms are still kind of um, I, like distasteful for me. Yeah. So it's like something like yeah. evangelization, evangelization through beauty, you know, like that kind of thing, like this show, not tell yeah. is still needed because at the end of the day, it still feels like, well, now this is Im imposing on, on me. Yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like there's a sense of negative, uh, like when, when you try to make that jump to religion, I'm um, showing like, okay, now like you understand the symbols, you understand like the mm -hmm. rituals and uh, like now look at religion, uh, specifically Christianity or something. There's a lot of negative connotation attached to that. Mm. And I think people nowadays are just, when you talk about church, they think institution, corruption, uh, like scandals, right? Yeah. And um, I think that that's just a huge stumbling block for them mm. to make that connection. Um, but at the same time, like, uh, I mean, any good work of art and therefore any good liturgy almost preaches for itself. Um, I think, you know, when, when there's like a, there's kind of a negative um, idea or um, just like a cliche that thinks like, like people, like when they think of mass, it's boring, you know? You think of a priest that's monotone, uh, the mm -hmm. music is bad. But if you actually seek out beautiful liturgies, I want, you know, I, I wonder how many people are actually bored. Mm. Like when you get like beautiful music, you know, and like an amazing church, you know, like a European cathedral um, with like a, a, like a, a talented um, chorale, you know, um, yeah. and like, are you really bored? Like, or like those symbols kind of almost scream at you. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like pay attention. Mm -hmm. Something important is going on. But you can be blocked off. To, I mean, you, you, well, can, you can. You That's, can live yeah. such a cynical life that you're closed off to any type of yes. awakening from yeah. beauty. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the show not tell is important. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the most you can do sometimes is provide the space for an experience, mm -hmm. but you can't tell people that much. Like, yeah. You can't, you um, explain symbols too much because mm -hmm. then now now yeah. they're no longer uh, a bridge or they're no longer kind of right. semi-mysterious right um they're just uh they're, they become signs i guess like this thing points to that mm -hmm. and that alone that's 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 all it signifies um yeah. but if you it, it it seems like the the draw to some of these more ancient styles of liturgy come from the fact that there's a lot that's kind of left unsaid, it seems right. like, and mm -hmm. they're not so so stripped down that it's it, it's just these few actions. There's a few things that kind of are, are veiled in silence, or whispers, mm -hmm. or or gestures, or movements, or whatever it is that you kind of have to fill in the gaps. If that makes sense. Right. Like you yeah. have to enter into. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. But that's like kind of the most you can do is is show and, yeah. and be there. Yeah, I think I, like along the lines of like trying to get somebody to see the analogy between like a ritualized coffee experience versus the mass or religion in general, you run into the problem of being like, well, I know what this ritual is for. It's for making coffee. Mm -hmm. What is that for? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And then and right. so and then the whole show not tell thing leads you to like, well, look at the life of a Christian. Look at look at mm -hmm. the life of this religion uh, and see that what it provides for their life. Yeah. And that's why I feel like something like a scandal is so 
strong of a of a resistor mm -hmm. because yeah. that is the thing you're looking at how it manifests in their life and to yeah like this person goes to mass every day yeah and what does their what life look like life? Yeah. yeah right that's very true yeah and so it, that, and, and as easy as it is to say well you know don't look at the individual you know like look at what the church is teaching mm -hmm. at the same time you do want to see fruits yeah among the people mm -hmm. so um yeah I, I do agree with that um but you know i i we 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 live in an age in which people are just blind and deaf to um, symbols, and so like, is there an education? There's a quote from Flannery O'Connor um, in preparing for this um, podcast that I thought of, and it's um, pertinent here. I'll read it really quickly. Yep. Um, this is from Flannery O'Connor. She said, "When you can assume that your audience holds the same beliefs you do." You can relax and use more normal means of talking to it. When you have to assume that it does not, then you have to make your vision apparent by shock. To the heart of hearing you shout, and to, for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. Hmm. Um, now, you know, relating to her short stories, she has very, um, you know, grotesque um, yeah. story, you know, uh, narratives and characters um, a lot of violence, mm -hmm. um, and it's like her stories definitely shout at you. Um, and in a sense, they can be a little didactic. Um, but you know, I thought of this quote in relation to what we're talking about, like to an audience, to a, to a, um, a demographic that is kind of blind and deaf to symbols. They're not able to pick up on beauty. Like, is there a responsibility on behalf of the church to educate people? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's just enough to. Like, oh, add more candles, add more incense, yeah, right. add more music. Um, is there a level of actually educating people? Um, you know, I, one of my um, go-tos when I'm preaching, I like to open up the mysteries of the Mass. Mm -hmm. And that might run contra to a little bit of, like, what we're talking about of, like, you know, let this, like, don't explain mm -hmm. the symbols. But at the same time, like, to explain, like, the narrative and like tell people like listen to the words in the Eucharistic prayer, mm -hmm. like understand it is attached to a bigger narrative in Christianity, um, understanding your end, you know, understanding how light isn't just optional. It's actually like the candles on the altar is like a symbol for fire and light, which is like symbols for God and right. love and desire, as you pointed mm -hmm. out, right? Incense, the prayer rising to mm -hmm. the heavens. Uh, yeah. So I feel like there is a sense of education that needs to be done. But I also understand the principle of show, not tell, you know, as I like to write, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm writing a novel and that's like one of the basic principles you learn yeah. is to show, not tell in your works. So finding that balance. Yeah. I don't think they're necessarily contradicted. Because contradictory. Contradictory. Yeah. yeah. Because, because education ultimately should also be a show, not tell, you know, like, it's not mm -hmm. like you're like, this is kind of Peugeot's whole project of like explaining symbolism. He's like very cautious of like, I don't want to hand out a symbolism handbook of like this equals that. Right. Like that would be telling. What he's showing is that like, they're like infinite mysteries to these things. And he's like opening them up and kind of gathering together, gathering them together and like showing you mm -hmm. how these are connected to other things. Yeah. How these like a candle is like a type of portal into other realities about religion. Yeah, and so in that way, like you have to, you're you're right in saying that it's a balance, but you do have to find even within education, it's like un, unpacking the mysteries of the mass is not exactly like this 
preachy telling. Like you said, a the, pamphlet it, of like, yeah, okay, right. Light so it's like, equals exactly. You know. that, that's <laughs> right. too yeah. Once you start to gather those things, if you do it enough, it starts. It clicks in somebody, and they start mm. to see everything like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like you know, and you were saying how that's have, have having to do that in art is obvious. Uh, but then even in something like education, there, there's still that balance. Yeah, I, yeah, no, that is true. And I think the hope there is that um, you start at this um, foundational level of believing that human nature is universal and mm-hmm. that we can actually all appreciate signs and symbols and certain language um, in the same way. Um, and while, you know, it, while, you know, it's easy enough to say a culture is blind and deaf, mm-hmm. you know, like the audience is blind and deaf, as Flannery O'Connor was saying. We don't, we still don't want to de- deny their human nature in the sense that they can still tap into these things. Right. I think, um, yeah, as you were explaining that, um, like what, what called, uh, what um, came to mind was the Easter vigil. And like you come into this dark church with the Paschal candle um, and the deacon uh, chants three times the light of christ the light of christ the light of christ and then the fire is spread and the church is lit by the light of christ i mean that's that's pretty didactic <laughs> in a sense, <laughs> right, right. right what is yeah. the candle so we do have, like, yeah right we do have in the liturgy um you know things yeah. that are um pretty explicit too. Yeah, yeah well i so. mean you you see this balance even in the gospels right like sometimes christ says a parable and like that's that's it. Mm, yeah. But then there's other times where the the disciples say, "What does the parable mean?" Yeah, and he well, and he does explain. Yeah. It. Right, and yeah, he says, right. "Well, you know, the the sower is blah, and the seeds yeah. are this, and the thorns are this." And yeah. he, he he tells them, but sometimes he he leaves it ambiguous. Amb- ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. it it's it's interesting because even in one of them, I'm trying to remember now, he does explain the. The parable, but then he says, "Those who have eyes ought to see, right? And those who have ears, let them hear. hear. Yeah, let them yeah. hear." So it, it's mm. it's even then it's like, well, there's still a little bit of a veil to this. Yes, yeah, and doesn't um at some point in, in the scriptures it says that he used parables to hide these things from the learning, right? right? Like, yeah, you know, and the lofty. So right. that is interesting. Um, that you know this symbolic language maybe is not like I don't know I'm just I'm speculating mm. here but maybe it's like not for everyone like there's a sense of there's a sense that like only those with eyes can see you know it's um, one of those things too because it's like you know I guess the quote unquote learned have that tendency to be like oh so this symbol equals that and is that always the case and it, and it's very like hyper structured yeah whereas like that whole like being like a child of like seeing the mystery in yes. it and seeing mm-hmm. it's kind of like infinite yeah. potential um there's something there that's yeah. like why why hide it from the learners like they might get too rigid with that yeah. and start and to make a handbook that's exactly know? and i think that like when you say the learned i think um you can point to someone like like the pharisees yeah where they were so sure of their knowledge mm-hmm um, that there was no room for learning and education. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and the same thing is true with like Socrates and the Sophists. Like they were not open to learning new things, and right. they were considered the learned of society, right. just like the Pharisees, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think that there is this sense of approaching things with wonder mm-hmm. and naivete. Like it's just I don't know these things. Yeah. And once you can op- admit that to yourself, then you can be open to. Learning the language of yes. symbolism, you know? Right. Um, so, 
Yeah, so speaking of candles, I, I kind of want to go on a little bit of a rant about candles. like just <laughs> Ranting like, about I candles? I don't want to like totally <laughs> no, diverge yeah. this, but I, I've been thinking about candles for so long. Um, very okay, random. that's it's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so like this is kind of an example of like how these symbolic understandings like lead to a deeper mystery as opposed to like, oh, what is this equal? So candles are made of wax, right? The church, what is the church's specific rule on it that the, the church candles have to be 51%? 51%, 51% beeswax. beeswax right? yeah. yeah. So the bees, the beeswax is what makes the honeycomb, right? Like that's yeah. what the wax is. Um, that's a six-sided figure, right? So there's this like image of like six days of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of the frame where the honey goes in, right? And so the frame is that kind of feminine idea of like the thing that, is the container. Na- nature, the world. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the honey comes from the male bees and they put the honey in, mm-hmm. uh, which is like s- the saliva and the pollen. Which mm-hmm. There's connection there with Christ, with the spit in the dirt, healing the blind man, mm. like something's top down coming into the container. Yeah. Right. So that wax becomes the candle um, in which the flame on top sits. Yeah. Right. And so, so there's a sense in which the wax is feminine. And the fire is masculine, and right, the light of Christ. Mm-hmm. That feminine candle is the church, right, the body of Christ, or Mary, mm-hmm. the, the seat of wisdom, mm-hmm. right. So you have all these feminine images into a candle of being um, in which like the God, container, the divine, correct, sits on sits right? on top. Yeah. So the body of Christ is also uh, we celebrate on Pentecost the birthday of the church, mm-hmm. right? And that's when you see the image of all the apostles with flames on their head. Tongues of fire. Right, so yeah. like the church has now been ignited, yeah. right? And the church is that candle. Yeah. Right. So like explaining that is not like, oh, here's a handbook on what candles equals. Like here's the mystery that this is tapping into. That's, yeah, that that's a really good That we can perceive point. deeper and deeper realities. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You're right. And when Whenever you're, um, that's a really good distinction. Whenever you're explaining explaining, I guess, for lack of a better term, explaining symbols, you're not, you should not be claiming to exhaust the mystery. Yes. Right. And that's a, that's an act of humility yes. yeah. on my part too. Yes. It's not like I figured out candles. It's like, right, right. I'm in awe of these things that I'm kind of intuiting at. Yeah. And yeah. I'm trying to share that with you. Right. I'm not like standing atop and being like, here's the answer. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point. Um, it's still a mystery. Right. Whether or not, right. you know, you explain it. Yeah. There's so uh, much more. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's more. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, the symbols can be continually it's yeah. fine. Yeah, you cannot exhaust them. Um, so I think, yeah. That, yeah, I think that's the, um, that is the key, is understanding that these things are mysteries. And mysteries are not puzzles to be solved, but right. things to be marveled at. And right. like, you're in wonder. Mm-hmm. Just like, um, I think in a relationship, right? Like, uh, uh, if a man loves his wife, mm-hmm. uh, he can say that there's a mystery to her, that he can never delve completely yep. right. uh, but he's in in wonder of her right um yep. and the more that you know like the man knows her and the more that she reveals herself to him you're not exhausting the mystery you're actually realizing how great the mystery is mm-hmm. uh, in a sense so yeah um lee you have some stuff from Jung here about symbols of transformation and yeah notes from edith stein yeah let's L- go L- lots of lots of stuff um <laughs> Yeah, so in, in Symbols of Transformation, um, one of Jung's, early, I think, earliest books, it doesn't go by that name, but it goes by a different name. Um, he he relates a story of Jesus and Nicodemus. You know, Jesus says a man must be reborn, uh, you know, of spirit and water. And 
yeah. Nicodemus says, you know, how does a man once grown grown old, how does he reenter his mother? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jung takes this, you know, then Christ obviously admonishes him and says, no, no, yeah. you're, you're like, in the sense like you're Face thinking, palm, you know? right, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, you're thinking, you're thinking materialistically, you're thinking realistically. I'm asking you to think symbolically, mm. um, or spiritually, I guess another way to say it. Um, and Jung takes this as Christ kind of tapping into the archetype mm. that he, he's trying the the thing that will convince Nicodemus is to speak to the archetypes because since these are, since archetypes are the things that, um, as he calls them, the, the, the riverbeds through which we think, you know, that they've mm-hmm. been ingrained in our mind, that this will convince him more immediately. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, there's something tied to our human nature right. about the archetype that mm-hmm. as soon as you hear it, you say, yes, like, this, right. I, I get it. Like, I, this, is, this is true. Um, so, yeah, you know, Jung's idea is that the, the archetypes have this, this this great suggestive power this this power of education mm. to to move um nicodemus to think differently to think symbolically about these issues and not in an empirical way um because empiric you know the empirical way you know for Jung is it doesn't it doesn't really um it's not satisfying mm-hmm. right. in the same way as, as symbols are um which I, which I think is kind of true, right? For sure. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, 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 you know, when I was reading that or, you know, after the concert, I went, you know, that's the passage I went to right away was um, from Jung was this, it's like, is, is this a greater educative force? Right. Is this, is this symbolic way of thinking a greater educative force mm. than, than preaching, I guess right now, or like yeah. preaching at, yeah. um, or like, you, you were talking about father helping people delve into these these sacred images or these these mysterious symbols yeah is that mm-hmm. is that is that going to be more satisfying to people i th- right. yeah i don't even i think that it's not only more satisfying but i think it's actually necessary um like when you look at when you look at the way in which christ chooses to teach his people it is through symbolic language it's through parallels Parables, yeah, mm-hmm. and parables uh, comes from that word, and in, in the same word in which we get parabola, which is to go around mm. to get to point A to point B, right? right. Um, right. It's not a line; it's it, it actually goes around, and um, that's the way. Like he had three years to um, preach the kingdom of God, and he chose right. to do it in stories. Um, same thing is true with um, Socrates. Like when he teaches people. He's, I mean, he wouldn't even claim to be teaching people. He's claiming to just, like, again, open up mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, but he uses questions, right? And it's not like, this means that. Like, he's he he engages with people in a way that's not as empirical, I guess. Right, um, yeah. And so, you know, in that same chapter in John 3, I love when Christ says, uh, he says, if you do not believe... Um, earthly things, how will you believe heavenly things? I think that's the quote. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's this sense of like, we need to have natural images to connect us to ideas. And and that maybe that go, that's connected to this thing that um, whatever is in the mind first comes through the senses. Well, right. I was going to say, um, you move from the sensible to the spiritual. Yeah, exactly. Know, from the, the inaccessible, immaterial right. through material. Yeah, exactly. And so like, even in the way that we come to know anything, 
Yeah. Um, abstracting the universal out of an object. Yeah. We have to perceive it materially. And I think that symbolism symbolism is acting on that level in a, in a right. sense. Yeah. Is um, I think it's not only a better way to educate, but it's actually the way that sh- education takes place. Yeah, well, that's uh, what I was saying. Is, sure. it, is it the most fundamental way? Because it's yeah. the way that Christ did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, yeah, was speaking um, uh, in parables. Because also, you know, parables and symbols and images—they're not kind of like arbitrarily tacked on. You know, it's like a, the symbolism for fire ends up, you know, connecting to passion and desire mm-hmm. and love and such like that because that there there's 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 already a meaning that we that we have to it like it's not just like well well we'll, we'll just say that fire right. means desire mm-hmm. you know it's not like well you know let's right. have I, arctic wind yeah, yeah arctic yeah, yeah. wind's going to mean love yeah it's so like, it's like a committee of symbolism right, right now like right, we're right. <laughs> like dictating right. yeah. things. it's like you can't just yeah. <laughs> switch them out mm-hmm. it like cuz to me like i said like you know it's like a cold breezy wind yeah. your yeah. love you know right. it's like <laughs> nope yeah you know, if you heard that in a song you think Oh, so they're not in love, right? Right, right. exactly. <laughs> right, yeah. it's because there's something again. There's this intuitive grasp that oh yeah, no, these the, these images and these symbols do, mm. or this experience, I should say, maybe this right. experience and the symbol do match. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, Nicodemus, kind of understanding like uh, that water is cleansing. Water, water cleanses him, and that spirit is the thing that animates him. And Christ is saying, right. no, 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 not physically reborn but think of the water that cleanses you yeah. right that'll cleanse you of your sin think of the spirit that animates you yeah, now exactly. you receive a new animation yep um to your soul yeah anima and anima. i mean that mm-hmm. that's the entire sacramental life of the church mm-hmm. um all the sacraments uh have a material aspect to them right and, and yeah. that's what a, a sacrament is like a, a sign like a symbol instituted by christ that bestows grace and that grace you know you can understand as um, the life of God in you, mm-hmm. the, the spiritual reality, right? Coming through a more material um, mm-hmm. uh, vehicle, I guess you could say. Um, and so when you're like, when you're baptized with water, the water is not arbitrary. Right. It is connected to that reality. Um, you know, bread and wine, it feeds you. And, and so it's not just like, oh, well, can we just still, can we still like, um, subsume Christ without, you know, the Eucharist, bread and wine. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we're not angels that just connect to these spiritual things right. immediately. Um, we're human beings, like a hybrid of animal right. and spirit, you know? And yeah. So. And, and, and no, you know, Christianity gets a lot of like, well, you know, it, it stole baptism. Like they didn't create baptism and yeah. you know, they didn't, <laughs> you know, they didn't create, you know, kind of this anointing with oils and things like that. And even, you know, bread and wine and mithric cults and mm-hmm. incense, all that stuff. And it would be more shocking if they did though, if Christians right. did say, oh no, no, we came up with baptism. But the idea of water being this, this image of cleansing, this image life. of flood and yeah. life and yep. fructifying and, all you know, all, all this stuff. It's like, well, that should be the case. Yeah, it should be the case that baptism is partaking in this ancient symbolism yep. that predated it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Or, or else it wouldn't be archetypal. Right. Because right. it'd be yeah. like, oh, you know, if if Christians came along and said, oh, this cleanses you from your sins, and no one had ever heard of that, it'd be like, <laughs> That's what, a little, what? Yeah, a little different. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know, exactly. it's like, oh, incense is like your prayers rising up to God. But like, what? What's yeah. incense? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, you know what? Well, yeah. What is this? Uh, all this imagery. But they should. Be participating in the ancient, you know, riverbed, you know, yeah, as says, yeah, the yeah. flow of exactly. symbolism. And that's why I love um, 
this idea that Christ like assumed when he assumed our human nature, it wasn't just our, it wasn't just our bodies that were redeemed, but like our longings, our imaginations are like the best part of our myths, you know, Mm -hmm. um, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so like when you have like these, um, heroic figures in ancient myths that, you know, mimic like maybe the, the hero was born of a virgin or born during the winter solstice, you know, and Mm -hmm. all these different like, um, details, um, I think on on the surface, um, the criticism would be, well, Christianity just stole a bunch of these myths, and you know, it's just right. a, it's like a myth like any other. Those. But it's like no, if if we're actually claiming that the person of Christ is God, and He assumed all of our human nature, then all of those things were just prefigurements right. of the true fulfillment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, in my mind, like those things. Um, those ancient myths that came before Christ that um, kind of shadow, uh, that are shadows of um, the Christian story, proves its validity. Um, right. Like you said, it's not just like Christianity just came up with this on the spot. That would be actually more improbable because then it's mm-hmm. disconnected from our nature. Mm-hmm. It's disconnected from what we as, yeah. as humans know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, as uh, one, of the, one of the masses after Christmas has that, that collect um, that in the nativity of Christ, God established the fulfillment of all religion, the mm. beginning and fulfillment mm. of all religion. Yeah, yeah. So it's like no, no, it's it's partaking in the history yeah. of religion. Yeah. Right. It's not just it doesn't delegitimize all these other religions. Mm-hmm. It's actually saying no, no, this is the beginning of true religion and the fulfillment of what you've been looking yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I love like uh, during the Epiphany, um, uh, one of the Psalms claims. Uh, well, not one of the psalms. It's one of the prayers um, within the breviary. It's, uh, it says, Christ proclaimed by the pagans. Mm. Um, I'm like, that's, that's epic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that, just that idea that Christ is assuming everything good that came before yeah. him. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so continuing with that, um, I, had a, I was reading a little bit of uh, Edith Stein recently, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. Um, just a little quick bio on Edith Stein. Um, she was a student of Husserl's, right? And yeah. a classmate of Heidegger. Heidegger. Yeah. They weren't, yeah, he was yeah. a teacher. Um, and she was a, of Jewish birth, um, but read in one sitting, apparently, read the entire life of St. Teresa of Avila, her biographies. Is that right? Oh, I didn't know In that. like one night and then converted mm. to Catholicism and became a Carmelite nun later. Uh, Heidegger apparently turned her into the Nazis. Is that yeah, right? I believe so. Yeah. And, and Husserl as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Heidegger essentially betrayed um, Husserl and uh, Edith Stein. Yeah. So. That's right. I, yeah. yeah. Did um, Husserl die? Well, he's dead. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> did he die in the concentration? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. So later, Edith Stein, St. Teresa, is, is killed in, uh, in one of the concentration mm-hmm. camps. But she did her work in um, phenomenology, obviously, under... So she was trying to combine a lot of interesting things, kind of her work with phenomenology and her her work with Thomism, trying to combine those, but also a little bit of um, Platonism. Like she has a little, mm-hmm. that kind of strange work. And she has a work on kind of commenting on Dionysius. Um, you know, we don't have much of his works, actually. Um, most of them are lost, but he has a work called Symbolic Theology that we actually don't have. He references it in, in oh, a lot wow. of his writings. Um, so she's she says she's trying to piece together 
what he thinks about symbolic theology mm -hmm. from the references, yeah. you know, in other works. Um, interestingly enough, Jung actually read uh, on the divine names by Dionysius. That's mm -hmm. where he gets archetypes from, you know, early in his work in, in symbols of transformation. He calls uh, the images of the collective unconscious primordial images. And then later he reads some Gnostic works as well as Dionysius and sees archetypes. You know, the Greek word there, mm -hmm. archetapos, and says, I'm going to use this word yeah. instead. You know, he's, he's, so he yeah. adopts that word from him. So a weird convergence of Edith Stein, Jung, and, mm -hmm. and Dionysius. But uh, in Edith Stein's commenting on symbolic theology, it's, it seems that what he meant was symbolic theology is the, the names of sensible things transferred to divine things. So, in, so, in what way can we say? And, and you know, she goes through some more scandalous uh, things that we say of God. You know, God's drunkenness, mm -hmm. God's anger, mm -hmm. God's jealousy. And how 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 do we understand these sensible human experiences with who who God is? Right. Um, because it seems as though God is sometimes very very human, mm. but it. Dionysius calls, he is a kind of a very broad definition of theologian. Apparently it's you know, really anybody who is grasped by God, he says. So Daniel, the prophet Daniel's mm. a, a theologian, Ezekiel, mm. Moses, mm. you know, someone who's had this experience of God and then tries to communicate it. And it seems like what he's saying is there's really no other way for humans to communicate the divine other than in human terms. Right, yeah. That's really you know, interesting. So it's like, you know, when you talk about God's drunkenness, it's it's God's kind of overabundance. Yeah. Right. Know, almost his almost his wastefulness mm -hmm. to humanity. Mm -hmm. But the only way to really describe that is is right. Is that word. In human terms. It, yeah. it is, yes, in human terms. It's it's um where is the principle from? I don't know if it's a Thomistic principle or Well, I know or, that there's um uh, there's it is a scandal, um, because there's this idea, I think it was Maimonides who uh, held to this idea that divine predication is um, should never be used. Uh, so predication, as in like, you know, God is, and then if you say something positive, right? That that like God is good. Goodness in human understanding is so far from what the goodness of God right. that it's actually a scandal to mm -hmm. to use that term. Right. And that the idea um, of like negative theology. Yeah, exactly. Like, ne yeah, yeah, negative yeah. and positive. And so theology. we can only like in Maimonides' um, uh, uh, philosophy, from what I understand, I only took one like a survey course, um, but his idea was that we can at least say that God is not evil. Right. Right. And and use that negative sense. Mm. So uh, I think you know there is something there to this idea that. It is a scandal to say like God's jealousy and God's drunkenness uh, as it relates to positive things about God, because it is attaching you know the the purely spiritual to earthly right things. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's that's that is interesting. But but like as as humans who are half earthly, <laughs> right, <laughs> so earthly, um, how else do we express these things? Right, like we have to use right. that uh, language. So yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, so the problem of God's changing His mind, God repenting, yeah, you know, right, God yeah. relenting, and it's well, that's also the uh, way that we perceive it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the yeah. way we perceive it is that God said, "I'm going to do this thing." Mm -hmm. You prayed and said, "Please don't," and then He, he changes His mind. Yeah, right. You know, it's like, well, 
should should um should Moses should, should Moses have you know written uh you know from all eternity God was going to do this right in right. his divine plan but instead after I implored it you know yeah. like it's yeah. it's yeah. just you know it, it doesn't um the narrative doesn't work yeah. that way you yeah, don't that's really kind interesting because you know the scriptures are in narrative form as we said they're not in. Uh, the form of the Summa theologian. Right, right. <laughs> no, right, that's exactly it. You know, yeah. yeah, it's um, like, you know, uh, I've always held that the best way to understand the Bible is as a library. Right. And mm-hmm. so, depending on what book you're in, um, depends on how you should approach it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when you're reading Job, you're not reading a historical account of something that happened to uh, a farmer <laughs> or a man, you know. Um, you're reading something that's semi-poetic, uh, semi, you know, um, theological and it's you can't take it literally um yeah i want to be careful on saying that because then you can just be like oh well i can interpret it however i want that's not the yeah. case but um you know i think one of my favorite examples as it relates to what you're saying is in job um and we've talked about this before but in the beginning of job like satan enters the court of god and yeah, god right. and satan are talking together plotting the destruction of job it's like, what's this about? <laughs> like, right, what, yeah. like, what, what is what is the devil doing in God's court? Like mm-hmm. talking to him like a buddy. Um, but I think the best way to understand it is, as you said, like this is the way that we perceive suffering in the world. That like if God is all powerful, all benevolent, you know, like um, omniscient, blah blah blah, then why do we experience suffering? Like, is God courting the devil? Right? Is there a sense of like is God in cahoots with the devil? Is he not as good as he? And that's the human experience of evil. And that's mm-hmm. what Job is kind of, I think. Um, relaying mm-hmm. uh, and using that imagery of like the devil right. and God talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, like that's a greater mystery, and that's what the book of Job right. unfolds. But um, yeah, like we like that's the language that we have to use to understand these. Mysteries. I wonder yeah. too if like trying to interpret or understand that story, we run into the same uh, Nicodemus problem of like, well, how can God and the devil fight? It's like I'm not, I'm not talking that's about exactly right. like being born again, literally. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's the same kind of problem of having the sim- symbolic understanding of what's yeah. really going on from a phenomenological perspective and then from our narrative perception. Right. I think the author of Job is not writing doctrine. Like, he's not out right. to say, like, right. this is the nature of God um, right. in, in that literal, like, doctrinal sense, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It seems very um, symbolic in, in, in the way it's presented. So, yeah. Yeah. So, apparently, this symbolic theology how Edith Stein understands it, is the lowest level of positive theology. Mm. So okay. apolog- a positive theology can be, you know, what is the parallel between creature and creator? What is, what, like, kind of what is the, the closest relationship they, they have, you know, sort of um, what you were saying, Father, um, goodness. In what mm. way, the way God is good and the way we are good aren't, aren't the same, but there is some level, though, of analogy. Yes. The, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just Thomas's uh, analogy of being, Mm-hmm. That there is there is something connected. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it's it's uncomfortable. Like there is a sense in which God is jealous, mm. but not exactly the same that we're jealous. Not an but, imperfect right. human fallen human jealousy. Exactly. <laughs> right. But yeah, there is right. a way in but which He yeah. does actually want your love. Yeah. And want right. it kind of exclusively. Right. Mm-hmm. That is a form of jealousy, but not in you know when we think of jealousy. Controlling, right. it's, you know, angry, yeah, you know, fearful, irrational, and, right? Yeah. But but you mm-hmm. are saying something true. You say mm-hmm. God is jealous. Yeah, He wants your love. And so, but it's because it's symbolic, 
and because it's you know sensible and earthly it has to be the lowest because mm, right. you know no earthly reality is perfect exactly to, mm-hmm. yeah, or it will right. perfectly represent um the heavenly reality right yeah. yeah that's interesting yeah but i mean you know i i think i think he said it's mystical theology i think he calls is it, it is, okay. is the is the highest form mm-hmm. of pos- which is basically revealed religion okay. right so this is right. what you know christ says about god mm-hmm. is the most you know kind of one to one you can say but you know hmm. it also seems like there is a sense of when you when you go up you start you know in this ascent to god do you start experiencing what god is not i mean that that's yep. very popular in saint john the cross yep you know you you realize it's not that um you don't know who god is as you get closer to him it, it seems like it's more um new it, new images almost mm. like old images go away and new images mm. are, are come come to place yeah. as to like what you thought god was mm. it's not at all the case yeah well um that's i yeah. guess what like john of the cross would call like the via negativa like the way right yeah exactly negation i guess yeah, yeah. right yeah right i mean yeah it's, it's that's that's part of it but yeah she, she has some um he just has some other interesting things on image um she talks about it as as like these three properties of being the image has to be something or a symbol has to be something that is, is formed by an artist kind of thing. Okay. And, you know, it, it's fashioned insofar as that it's grasped. It has to be grasped mm-hmm. by the person. Otherwise it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And that it has to point to its, its image and likeness, or it has to point to its original copy in order for it to, mm-hmm. to make sense. And I, and I thought mm-hmm. of Jung's idea of what, like why he thought God exists is because he, he has this image that he didn't form that there's some sort of artist formed for him. Right. Um, and since it's graspable by him, it must point to its original copy. Mm-hmm. Um, what is he? He says that, you know, theologians are concerned with the imprinter, but I'm, but he's concerned with the imprint. Right. So, interesting. So he's concerned with the archetype. That's interesting. Whereas theologians are concerned with the, the, yeah. the creator of the architect is that yeah. is that like a platonic idea kind of oh yeah of for thing, sure. like the cup you know being like this has to be graspable but also pointing to some like what is the archetype of a cup yeah and that really kind of goes yeah. up to like platonic ideas and forms yeah it, it seems like yeah it seems like also this symbi- this symbolic theology is connected to natural revelation you know natural theology kind yeah. of the what we can know about god through the natural mm. world so right. when, you know you're looking at symbols you're know, looking at yeah. language and stuff like that how does how does this point to something yeah. more? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I get, yeah, a platonic idea would be more like, um, yeah, like the form is in the mm-hmm. heavens and yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you know, the good and it partakes in that, but it's not that thing itself. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think more of an Aristotelian sense is that you can actually find the form in the thing itself. Right. Um, so there's, yeah, that's a little minute um, distinction, but mm-hmm. yeah. Man, I'm trying to just recall a lot of my uh, ancient philosophy classes right now. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I really do find it interesting. When I studied phenomenology uh, in seminary, um, we didn't go through Edith Stein as much as I would have hoped. We went more through Husserl. Um, it makes sense. I mean, he's the founder of you know, yeah, right. phenomenology. Yeah, right. um, but I do find it interesting that uh, like, our culture is kind of prepped for this way of thinking. Mm. Um like you know, all this like, like Jordan, the the advent of Jordan Peterson and mm-hmm. his um, you know, um, cog sci way of approaching things, um, like talking about human experience, 
yeah. uh, in an almost existential way that can lead you outside of yourself to to intuit things that are um, yeah divine or spiritual or right. universal, right? Um, so I, you know, I wonder if like Edith Stein is actually like a really important thinker now. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, maybe more so than she was mm-hmm. a little bit back then. <laughs> um, but that yeah. whole idea of phenomenology, um, symbolic ways of thinking, is just. Uh, I don't know. I've, I'm seeing it as very pertinent for now. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right now, if you're following like Peterson, John, uh, Jonathan Peugeot, and Verveke, they're kind of all talking about really similar things. And what's really interesting right now with Peugeot, he's kind of hovering over this problem that we're discussing now about human consciousness of like we're describing God with these human uh, terms, attributes, and, yeah. right? Like the jealousy of God and whatever. It's like, but there's also a sense in which that's actually real. And like, it's not really arbitrary that we're just attributing human consciousness to it. So like, what is it about the human consciousness that has to do with reality itself um, Mm -hmm. and the nature of God, et cetera. And he's kind of hovering over this idea, like from Daniel of the son of man, of being like the human person in Christ was there at the beginning. Mm. And so there's something about human consciousness that is yeah. that is revealing to the the reality of the world, right? Um, and it's you know obviously through Christ, yeah, not just any arbitrary human consciousness, but like the Son of Man, like the archetype of man, yeah, um, is really there in the beginning, yeah. So there's something really mysterious. Well, about and that, that, he's kind of been hovering. That goes over back that. to what Lee was saying with like you know Jung is more um, interested in the archetype rather than the theologian who's concerned with yeah God. Mm-hmm. It's like imagine like. You could you could do that with objects, but it's it gets really telling <laughs> when you do that with man himself. For sure, right. yeah, right? yeah. Because then you're looking at, well, if I'm an image of God, right, right, like, yeah. and that's where you get the yeah. imago dei. That's where yeah. you know the idea of the incarnation, right, really starts to blow up yeah. <laughs> and yeah. unfold, in a sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, but even like the symbolic understanding of things in the world, like candles and whatever, like yeah. all of that is like when you really boil it down, it's like, this is for man. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So right. like, what is, what is, what is it about reality that is for man other than our arbitrary um, attribution to it being perceived through us? Right. But it, like Peugeot is arguing like, well, actually it's because human consciousness in some mysterious way has been there since the beginning yeah. through the son of man. And it's mm-hmm. as scandalous as, as it sounds, human consciousness is divine in a sense. Yeah. It's so um, yeah, it's trippy. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, some caveats. I'll put yeah. some asterisks there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, that does seem true, though. Yeah. yeah. You know, consciousness is divine. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. I, mean, yeah. I, I mm-hmm. think the that... divine, yeah, the, princi- the divine principle, the good, the platonic mm-hmm. way, uh, the prime mover, Aristotelian, like, yeah, mm-hmm. it, all that. Yeah, because <laughs> so. it, it obviously depends upon how you define consciousness, because, you know, clearly animals are yeah. conscious, mm-hmm. you know, and possess... Right certain levels of consciousness but if you're talking about kind of the the highest level well that would be because of a human soul it seems like Mm -hmm. you know that that, that's what gives you this the center and and the center of your consciousness and and the largest uh scope of consciousness yeah the logos you know right yeah yeah, than Mm -hmm. any other you know than any other creature so uh and the soul is the spark of the divine right yes (laughs) yeah yeah that's really fascinating um, I, I, and uh, one last thought too is like you know in talking about studying archetypes versus studying God, um, you know the uh, 
if we, we, we take the analogy of an artist and God, um, we can say that art reflects the artist in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Like the more that you study an artwork, you can kind of glean the mind of the artist. Mm. Um, and so it's not like those things are mutually exclusive, I guess right. is my point. Yeah, it's yeah. like when you're studying the work of creation and stuff, mm-hmm. you can kind of glimpse at the order behind it, you know? The, yep. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Edith Stein actually has a, a few things on that one, like symbolism and, and natural theology and portraits is kind of like is, her, she, yeah. her, her main okay. thing. And also that, you know, as one grows in, you know, the spiritual life, if you want to call it the life of faith, um, through revelation and mystical theology, I think that uh, the symbols don't go away and they're not explained more, but there's new avenues for them to be recreated essentially. Mm, so right. a, a portrait's one of them. It's you, you yeah. can, you know, you can appreciate a good portrait. There's many ways to look at a portrait. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, you know, kind of on a natural level, you could appreciate it. Um, but if you were someone who knew the artist or knew the person in the portrait, mm. this is sort of like faith. And now the symbol takes on a different meaning. Right, right. right. Yeah, that's it's, it's not just, mm. oh, yeah, this is a nice picture. It's like, oh, no, actually, I know the guy who painted this. Right. I know this about him. So now the, the, the portrait doesn't go away. It just has new avenues right. and exactly. new channels. Yeah. Um, thanks to faith. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because she says that, you know, with faith, you can sort of continually refashion the image of God within you, mm. which... I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm working that through. Okay. I'm like that's cause she's not saying like it goes away Yeah. or it's like, but it's like almost like your understanding of the image of God within you continually morphs and changes. Okay. Um, I've been, I've been listening to a little bit of, um, Jung's red book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a free token on, uh, Audible. Audible, so I was like, <laughs> "All right, let's, let's, let's pick this. Let's pick this bad boy up." Um, bad boy for sure. <laughs> it uh, it really is. I'm like, "Wow, this is." Um, and he talked about that that you know when he was younger, you know, he had that experience of communion, and mm-hmm. you know he didn't feel anything. Right. Um, so that there was this death of the God image that he had to then recreate. Mm-hmm. So it seems like there's that's sort of a negative way of going about it, but it seems like that then there's this like way of faith mm. that as you grow, the image of God changes. Like it dies and like it is mm. reborn again, but in a, mm. a deeper okay. way. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, that, I, You're kind of touching on like baptismal language there, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't know if I'm just going through this because like going to this, um, because it's just easy for me to understand. Maybe I'm not grasping the problem. But is it in a sense of like the more you get to, because faith you can understand as kind of a way of um, knowing in a sense. Yep. Um, and and it's the, the, the more you grow in faith with God, the more you know him and he's not the image of what you presumed he would be. I, th- a, I think it's partly that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like you, um, yeah. Like the image that you had has to, has to die Right. And be yeah. recreated. If it's merely other. just like father above that judges. Exactly. And then as you grow in faith, you realize there's an element of you that participates in that and you kind of destroy that image and recreate right. a new one. Okay. Okay. So it's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I have to think about that, that in the sense in which he's destroyed, because it sounds like it's deepened and I don't know if it, yeah. um, it's not mm. like, imagine if you met a man and, um, 
you're friends with him, and then like ten years down the road, he reveals that um, he actually uh, like killed three people. Yeah. Well, okay, maybe that's a bad. That's example. actually a perfect uh, example. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because well, yeah. you're contradicting your own point, but that is a good example. Yeah. Like that image does have to die. Yeah. And this Peterson talks about that exact thing with like a couple. Yeah. Of like, if yeah. you if 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 they, if one of your if your spouse cheats on you then like your entire image of what they were and what they are and what they will be changes. Yeah. And you enter yeah. into a state of chaos, water, baptism, recreation, like it's all there. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, you are right about that analogy. Yeah. Interesting. Like there is a kind of a death to it, a kind yeah. of re-submerging into the primordial waters. Of knowing. A, yeah. Like you don't know anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think in a positive way, let's say you discover that the man, um, you know, uh, won a million dollars in a lottery right. and he's living simply mm. and he's like, okay, well, so he is everything that I knew, mm-hmm. but there's this new element that I, I learned right. and it informs the way I kind of see him, but it's not yeah. completely destroyed. Well, so maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's, the idea of death is not a negative one, but it does die. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Mm. Nice. I guess the, the Nietzschean, Part of me likes the, the death of God, kind of, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know right, like yeah. it's it's yeah. well, it's also more um, it's more Carmelite, you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, like I mean, brooding and yeah. blood and death, well, you know, yeah, well, because so. yeah, yeah, the the dark night of the soul. I mean, because that's yeah. that's really what the dark night of the soul feels like, mm. at least according you know Saint John and and Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I never read her journal, mm. but I haven't either. But, but I I use it in. As an example to people who are not feeling <laughs> well. Right, that's exactly uh, I'm really like, diluting that. It looks so, so I've heard, you know. Yes, yeah. um, it feels like God is, has abandoned you, yeah. that there is no God. Mm-hmm. And the, God has died um, for you personally in your, in your own soul. So I, I guess that's why I'm more drawn to that. Yeah. But yeah. like actually what's sure. happening is you're drawing closer. Right. It's just it feels and, as though that and image through has that, died. And through that death, uh, I guess you can say that you are actually ironically like increasing your faith as well like if you stay the course sure um mm-hmm. and so you're learning more about god even though if it feels like he's abandoned you um yeah. so yeah good stuff so somehow we got to take all of that and not be a street preacher you know what I'm saying? like that's yeah. the goal for Christians. <laughs> yeah, right right yeah. right yes. it's you know you got to move from the the accessible material symbols to the inaccessible yeah. yes and spiritual realm and the symbol is not a cardboard sign with exactly. Saying, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I going to hell. <laughs> I think he should have just gone to the concert. I'm, I'm serious. I was like, you probably would be more successful if you were in here. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. The guys who are jumping up and down, like, isn't this kind of like religion? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, you know, I mean, there's some concerts I understand why he might not want to come to. Dayglo, yeah. I don't think was one of them. Right. Um, <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, good. Um, yeah, let's stop there though. Uh, basicallyrelated.com to sign up for our AMA episodes. I'm Matt Hylam on all social media, and Lee is Coach Lieb. Bye, everybody.